when I was in high school, I used to hate reading. Have we got any other people out there with me, right? Now, some of you, some of you guys are into books. Where's the book club here? Put your hands up. Uh, the book club. All right. And if you are not on the book club, you get to yell out, nerds, nerds. Uh, when I was in high school, when I was in high school, I used to hate reading. Here's why I used to hate reading. Because what I did at school was read stuff in order to pass exams. And so when I went home, I was like, I don't want to read anything anymore. I want to go surfing. I want to go hang out with friends. I want to do fun stuff. I don't want to be stuck reading at home. But My mom, now don't hate me for this, don't judge me, but my mom, the terrible truth is, was an English teacher. All right, now don't judge me. And so to my mom, me reading was just like the most important thing that could happen. She was all about me reading and my house was full of books. Now right now, I actually quite like books, but when I was in high school, I didn't, so we can cut the cheese both ways. Uh, Either way... What I knew during high school was that I just didn't really care about most books. Didn't care about most books. But whether or not you like books, I would love to try and convince you that at least some books are worthwhile. Some books are worth our attention. I would love to draw your attention to one of my favorite books in the entire world. We're going to throw it up on the screen. It's called The Official I Hate Cats Book. Who's on team dog? Team dog? Who's on team cat? Team cat? Beautiful. So this book right here, this book right here lives on my shelf at home and every page you turn, it is just a new picture of how you can gruesomely maim and kill innocent cats. It's a glorious book. Glorious book. Let me tell you about another book. I have here the uh, 2015 Greenpoint Christian School Yearbook. Now, you know how a yearbook goes. Yearbooks are kind of funny in the same way, but what you'll get is a whole series of pictures and everyone gets to say something inspirational or it lists all the amazing clubs and societies that you're in. And Now, I didn't go to Greenpoint. This is a borrowed one, but I still have my yearbook at home. I love my yearbook. It's got a lot of sentimental value to me. And so all I'm trying to convince you of to start off with is that some books are really worth keeping, whether or not you're a reading kind of person, whether or not your mum is an English teacher and tried to give that to you. Now, why are we talking about books tonight? Here's the reason why. Tonight, kind of like Dan referred to just before, we are going to be thinking about the matters of heaven and hell, the matters of eternity, the matters of life and death. We're going to be thinking about the deep heavy stuff. And we're going to be thinking about it through this one theme, this one book that I actually took 10 years as a Christian to pick up. We are going to be talking about the most important book 
that has ever been written tonight. Now, you're in a church, and so you're thinking that the obvious answer that the guy on stage is going to give is the Bible. But I don't think the Bible is the most important book that has ever been written. And all your youth ministers are freaking out right now and saying, what event did I bring my people to? I don't think that the Bible is the most important book that's ever been written. Actually, I think there is one book that is more important. And it took me 10 years of being a Christian to work out what this book was about. See, my mum is a Christian, my dad is not. And so I actually became a Christian during high school. I never went to Sunday school, never learnt the songs. It was always kind of my choice. And I became a Christian at an event just like this in high school when I was about 15. But it took me 10 years to get my head around this book. And actually, I was reading the verse that we had read out for us just before, and that kind of started this whole journey for me. So let's get it back up on the screen. It's Exodus 32. Now pay attention to the book thing here. You ready? But now please forgive their sin. If not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Now a bit of background. There's Moses. Let my people go. Yeah, Moses. And he is up on a mountain with God, down the bottom of the mountain, all of God's people. And they're thinking, where's Moses? Where'd he go? Maybe he's not coming back. And while they're without Moses, they do something real dumb. They get all their gold, they put it into a big pot, they melt it down, and they craft for themselves a golden cow. And they seem to think it brings them good luck or something, and so they start worshipping this golden cow. God looks down the mountain, and he is so angry. And he tells Moses, I am going to smash them. I am going to pour out some judgment on these people because they live in my world, sucking my air, and yet they are worshipping this fake God. And Moses tries to plead for them. He asks God to have mercy on them. And he says, but now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Here's all I need you to get at this point. All I need you to get is this. It seems like God wrote a book and it's got people's names in it. It's not talking about the Bible. This is Exodus. The Bible hasn't been kind of fully written yet. It seems like God wrote a book and there are names in it. And Moses reckons that his name is in the book. And so I thought to myself, hey, that's really weird. I thought the book that God wrote is the Bible, which is true. But it also seems like there's this second book. And that's the book that I want to speak to you about tonight. Here's the second reference I found to that book by looking through the Bible. It's in Psalm 69, huh, 69 and it says, May they be blotted out of the book of life, And not be listed with the righteous. Now pay attention right there. May they be blotted out of the book of life. That's the book we're talking about tonight. And not be listed with the righteous. And so we learn one more thing about this book from Psalm 69. We learn that it's basically a list. And it's a list of righteous people. 
Now, righteous means acceptable to God. The opposite of righteous is to be against God, to be God's enemy, to be entirely and just totally stained with sin. And this here is a list of the righteous. That's what this book of life is. If we're going to say it in modern terms today, we'd say it's a book of all the believers, a book of all of the Christians. And it's got some people's names in it and some people's names are not in it. Let's talk about parties for a minute. Uh, When you go to 16th and 18th birthday parties, there is a surefire way to work out whether the party that you have gone to is a top-tier A-level party. Here's what it is. You get to the front door, you get to the top of the driveway, you go into the party, and there's a bouncer. You go, this is a mint party, all right? This is good stuff. They've hired a bouncer or the older brother is there or something. And he has a clipboard. And the clipboard has a list of names. And if your name ain't on it, you're not coming into the party. That's how you know you're at a great party. This here, what we're talking about tonight, this book of life thing, seems to basically be an extended list of people who are on God's entry list, I presume, to heaven. And so... It also follows that there must be some names that are not on this list. They're talking about the book of life. Now, what really threw me was that we kept going all the way through the Old Testament. And the next verse I want to draw your attention to is actually from Jesus himself. We get all the way to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, you get this reference where Jesus seems to also believe in the book of Life. Have a look at this. It says, do not rejoice. This is Jesus speaking. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I presume that's talking about the book of life in heaven. And here's the background to that, right? Jesus has sent out 72 people to speak in his name, to proclaim the message about him. And some really cool stuff goes down in front of their eyes. They go, man, we saw miracles. We saw the spirits submitting to us, is what they say there. It's basically, we saw some crazy stuff. We saw some crazy stuff, and we're really amped about this. And they come back to Jesus, and they're like, we saw this, and we saw this. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, yeah, yeah, that's all cool. But rejoice, first and foremost, that your names are written in heaven. If your name is in the book of life, there is no greater cause for rejoicing. And some of us by the end of the night might actually work out that our name is written in. And some of us might not be sure. There is no greater cause for rejoicing than your name being in the book of Life. Now follow with me. I kept flicking on this. I'd, I'd been a Christian for 10 years. I'd never really picked up on this because God wrote the Bible and the Bible is the bomb, but the Bible talks about this other book. And I got all the way to the final, the final book of the Bible. And I went to Revelation chapter 3 and I found a whole nother verse and this started to really clarify for me. Here's the question this helped me answer. Whose name is in the book, whose names are in and whose name is not in. 
This verse helped me work it out. It says this, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Now, this is a a letter from Jesus' messenger uh, to this church in a particular time and a particular place, real letter, real people. And he talks about the one who is victorious. Let me just explain what that means to you. Right then, kind of like you might feel in your school, they were getting a lot of heat for being Christians. They were having a really hard time staying Christians. And you know what that's like, right? You know that not everyone in your class, not everyone in your year, not everyone in your school is on for Jesus. In fact, many people make it their business to be strongly against Jesus. And it would be really easy for you and for the people in this letter to ditch Jesus, to stop following him, to give up on Jesus. But Jesus says, to the one who is victorious, the one who doesn't ditch me, the one who stays with me, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Now, here's the first pointy bit for all of us in the room today. It would be really easy for you to ditch Jesus. Have you ever been tempted to ditch Jesus? Maybe you are currently, even the week that you just had, quite tempted to ditch Jesus, to stop openly being a follower of him. When I actually became a Christian, I was 15. I think, to be honest, my parents expected me to ditch Jesus after a little while. They had this word. They had this word. It was the word phase. Maybe your parents have the same thing. They're like, oh, they're just going through a phase with this whole youth group Jesus stuff. They're just going through a phase. And my parents were probably, I think they were just like, well, at least he's not doing something dodgy down at the park. I guess we'll let him go to youth group. That's a better option. But eventually he'll get over it, right? And he'll become normal like the rest of us and kind of ditch Jesus. My parents thought that I was going to ditch Jesus. Maybe your parents do too. Sometimes in your school, even your teachers might give you heat for being Christians. I'm confident that at times your mates will give you heat for being a Christian. And the temptation will be to ditch Jesus But here's an encouragement for you. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. So don't ditch Jesus. Stay with Jesus even when you get heat for it. People have gone before and people will come after you. We're going to take a little bit of a break. I've shared so far with you about two books that are a couple of books that are really important to me. I've shared about the Cats book. Love the Cats book. I've shared about yearbooks, which have a lot of sentimental value to us. I've shared about bounces lists and how important it is to be in those books. But I would love to share with you now about Outside of the Bible and the Book of Life, what is probably my favorite book, my favorite physical book that lives on our bookshelf at home. I've been married for about four years. I have a ring to prove it. And I'm married to Bree. Uh, Bree actually is from Terrigal. 
And uh, I'm from Sydney. Don't hate me for it. We can still be friends. But I love you guys up on the coast, and I love you guys up in the Hunter. And I married a girl from Terrigal, took her back to Sydney and stole her from me. And she's called Bree. She used to be a youth leader here at EV Youth. And I didn't really know this before you get married. But on the, ma- on the wedding day, I showed up to our reception, and there was this book. It was called like a reception book or a wedding. It was called a guest book. And what you, it's this beautiful crafted book with a little bow, and you open it up. And everyone who came to the reception on the day wrote a little note. They said, hey, Tom, Bree, hope you have a good marriage. Enjoy that. And the next person. And it's just this beautiful, sentimental book that means a lot to me and Bree. It's probably my favorite book. But compared to the Bible and the book of life, it doesn't really matter whose names are written in my guest book. Because all that does is stir up a little bit of sentimentality. But the people whose names are in the book of life, that really matters. And here's why it matters. Have a look at the next verse I pulled up, which was Revelation chapter 20. It says this. This is the heavy bit. Listen in real tight. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now that is the heavy bit, isn't it? But it's also brutally clear. There's no mixing of words here. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't matter. Most of the books on most people's bookshelves at home. But this book, and whether your name is written in it, that matters so much. When I was in youth group, the guy who ran my youth group told me two very important things about hell, which is what the lake of fire is representing. He said, number one, it's real. Whether you like it or not, it's real. And it is horrible. It ain't some kind of party where all the fun people are and they do all the fun things that you weren't supposed to do in high school. Hell is like a lake of fire according to the Bible. And I'm not here in the business of scaring people, but I am scared of the lake of fire. And I don't know all of you, but I don't really want you to go there. Hell is real. Number two, hell is avoidable. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I could never believe in a God who sends people to hell. What kind of God is that? And usually at that point I say, are you aware that God doesn't like Sending you to hell? Are you aware that God doesn't want you to go to hell? In fact, God so badly does not want you to go to hell that he would rather send his son to die and pay the punishment instead of you. God is not out there trying to find ways to to trap you and land you in hell. God is there trying to find a way to get through to you. That he loves you. That there is a problem, our sin, that needs to be fixed. And that he has provided that way by sending his son, Jesus, 
die on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute, he doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. But it remains true that anyone's name not found in the written in the book of life I went to Revelation 17 next and it showed me something very interesting about the book of life. It told me when the book of life was written. It says this, the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from when? From the creation of the world. From the creation of the world. What that means is this, right? That the book of life has already been written. Some of you guys are scribbling notes down here. Some of you guys are scribbling notes on your iPhone. I know you're texting, but come back with me, right? You're still creating your notes right now. You're still creating your book. The book of life is written. Every name that's going to be in the book of life is already written. And so that really confused me. Because I was going to stand up here until about a week ago. And I was going to say, get your name in the book of life. There's no more important book. But it turns out you can't do anything to get your name in the book of life. It's already written. One thing that helped me see is it's, it helped me see something about evangelism, which is a beautiful thing, sharing the gospel, trying to help others encounter God. It showed me that evangelism is kind of like a scratchy card. And you know, scratchy cards, right? Uh, there's something written on the card, but there's a covering. And you get your little coin and you scratch away and you unveil what has already been written. That's kind of like what evangelism is. We share the gospel and some people are going to respond positively and some people are going to respond negatively. But it would be crazy for us to leave it as an unscratched card. And in fact, tonight, that's kind of what we're doing, is scratching a lot of cards in this room right now and seeing how you respond to the gospel, to the crazy good news about the God who loves you, even though you ditched him and rejected him, like us all, and how he sent his son so that you wouldn't have to go to the lake of fire but actually to make it possible for your name to be written in the book of life. And so evangelism is kind of like a scratchy card. Let's go to the next one. I think I've got two more verses to go. This tells us who owns the book of life. Check it out. They're the Lamb's book of life. And it tells us some more about that. It says the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb's book of life. Now, who's the lamb? Been around church long enough, you might have heard Jesus referred to as the lamb. So apparently, Jesus is the one who owns this book. Here's why that matters. You ready? You with me? That matters for this reason. A lot of people come to me and they say, I think God will let me into heaven because I'm like this. I think God will let me into heaven because I did this. I think God will let me into heaven because I am, insert whatever you want. And you know what's really interesting is pretty much everyone says 
I think God will let me into heaven. I don't meet many people who say, no, he won't. And what that is, is us saying, I decide who's in the book of life. It's my book of life. I decide the criteria. But the verse we had up just before, it says it's the Lamb's book of life. It belongs to Jesus. And so we only come to Jesus on his criteria. Not because you think you're good. The question is, does God accept me? How could God accept me? Even after I've ignored him, rejected him so many times. Even though my sin is the word is so real. And so we get to our final verse. Have we got Revelation 5? This is the final verse I want to point you to. It shows us, and this is possibly the most important question, how is it possible that any of us could be righteous? How is it possible that any of us could be acceptable to God? How is it possible that any of us could be in the book of life? Here's how it's possible. Revelation 5, it's talking about the lamb and it says, The lamb, you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. I'm going to read this bit because I want to get it right. This is the really important truth. Zone in with me. No one deserves their name written in the book of life. Not you, not me. All of us are guilty before God. But the way that we can be in the book is because of the lamb who was slain. How does that help? Because when he was killed, his blood purchased us for God. Let me give you an analogy. Uh, when you donate blood, I don't know if you've ever done that before. You, you go to the blood, you donate blood, you give your blood, and that purchases for somebody an extended physical life because they need your blood. But human blood can't buy spiritual life. You need Jesus' blood, who is both human and God. Perfect uninfected blood spilled on our behalf that purchases our spiritual life. We owe a debt and it's our lives. But the lamb, that's Jesus, went to the cross and paid our debt. And so as we close, as we finish, I want to land you with what could be the most important question in your life. It's this. Are you in the book of life? Books already been written. You can't do anything tonight to get yourself in the book of life. Books already been written. Are you in the book of life? How do you know? Here's how you know. People who are in the book of life, they trust Jesus on the cross. They repent which means they turn from their old way of life and start running towards Jesus' way of life. And they don't ditch Jesus. Somebody who trusts in Jesus' death on the cross, repents and starts to live for Jesus, and doesn't ditch Jesus, 
over the course of their life, that is someone whose name is written in the book of life. And so what we are going to do tonight is that actually that since, since the creation of the world, this moment has actually probably been planned. There are some of you who came in here tonight not knowing whether you trusted in Jesus, whether you trusted in God or not, not knowing how you stood before. And this moment has been planned where your scratchy card gets uncovered and it turns out you are someone who repents, has faith, and doesn't ditch Jesus following on for their life. And this is the moment where you, for the first time, express that. And we say that's the same thing as becoming a Christian. So we are going to pray a prayer. I'm going to give you an... Here's the heads up on how the prayer goes. It goes, God, I'm sorry. God, please forgive me. And God, please help me. And we're all going to pray that prayer. We'll just close our eyes. And we'll say our big amen at the end. This is a significant moment. For a lot of people in this room. Let's do 